You know, Fiona, you are working on probably the greatest opera ever written. I wish you hadn't and, said that. And if that doesn't concentrate the mind, nothing <laughs> it, will. It certainly does that. <laughs> but it is, it is a perfect piece, I think. It's so perfect. I'm beginning to feel I'm, I'm beginning to feel it's perfection. And of course, there's nothing like that to show one's own imperfections. You're absolutely right. There's a kind of um, delirious blend of marinated feelings that sit in the music, on top of which are rather agitated thoughts. And, I mean, that in that way he corresponds entirely to Shakespeare, that, that thought and feeling are being, are being animated by each other. Mm. It's the devil to direct, because you have often six or seven or eight people on the stage all having thoughts that are shifted by the other person's thought at every beat. Yes. And you'd need a year, really. I mean, a year I, I could have done, really. I could have joined that, a year. But that's something opera only can do. Yeah. Because if you're working with straight theatre, everybody can't talk at once. That's but right. everybody can sing at once. And they can. <laughs> In some and sort of harmony. They can. And what's comedy. weird is, of course, the harmonies often... I mean, the, the Count and Countess being the most exciting thing to just watch because your feelings are being pulled by the, by the, by the music. And, and they're... they're their consort, I don't know what one word I would use to try and avoid a musical phrase, but to, to the, their unity is in the music to a point that actually you feel that you want to be part of them. I mean, there's something quite uh, narcotic about the music, I think, and that's how, you know, hearing it all day, every day, for ages, it never, you never tire of it. Mm. And then this rather volatile, passionate what is very well written, actually open-ended, hard-to-say relationship. It's not that it's airtight, but the music is holding the frame so tight that the universe that's possible within it is bouncing around, mm. but held by this. Mm. It's very interesting that Mozart and Da Ponte set themselves... I mean, two of their operas take place in a very constricted time span. Uh, Don Giovanni over one night... Um, figure over 24 hours and of course you know from the minute the overture starts that it's that kind of the bustle of activity that's going to carry us through this, this drama but the variety within that how in terms of fluidity this uh, it must be a design mm. challenge mm. how in this production are you, are you doing that? Well um, about before Christmas I was endlessly touring, I mean, actually the autumn last year, with, you know, whether I, I whether to place the opera in a modern context, which would be my instinct, because I believe that de Ponte, in his wildness, I think, and Mozart, in his gentle, revolutionary feeling, were trying to strike a chord in their moment of, um, or discord, in, a, in an interesting way, both chord and discord, and I feel often the theatre, we're often like that. One wants to both upset and delight. You certainly don't want to abuse, or but you want to upset and delight. And I thought modern, and then of course you cannot with a, an, an opera that's fundamentally, the sp has a spine uh, which is based on something that stopped after the revolution. So yes. namely the droit de seigneur, that in some way men and women are trapped in houses run by men who have this right. Now oddly, the right itself comes in and out of focus in the writing, but without naming it properly in its time, you probably would never have uh, you know, enough of a skeleton to really, yep. really shape yep. the opera into whatever else it, it, it would come out to be. 
So uh, I was trying to think 18th century thoughts and modern thoughts, and, and I came up with the idea of a maze, and so I asked Peter Macintosh to come and design it, and he has come up with the most wonderful maze, because mazes have people being lost, people mm-hmm. wishing to be lost, yes. uh, people choosing to be you know, in passages, it has a sense of uh, corridors of houses, and it's also a very 18th century thing, very European thing. So we have a circular maze, um, which uh, is a series of corridors, it's both a house and a maze, and in the middle of the maze lives the Minotaur, who's the Count, I suppose, which is another good connection with mazes. Um, in fact, it was my little nephew who mentioned the Minotaur in the maze, I thought, that's of course it is, that's who he is, this Count, he lives in the middle of the maze, <laughs> and devours women by, by yeah. as, you know, defeated him. And uh, so it's a circular maze, and therefore we, we, we visit the people on the exterior of the maze, because in a proscenium arch, obviously, you would see, only see the exterior. But with the use, we think, of various filmic devices, we will be able to see into the corridors of the maze. Ah. And then that's only for some of it, obviously. We then we, we, we get into the middle of the maze in, in Act 3, and then we go out to a very much an outdoor maze. Because part of the fascination in this piece is being able to imagine what's happening in these other rooms yes. simultaneously. Exactly. So right. you're, you're, actually te- you're actually tackling that up. Uh, I think so. For two, two and very practical reasons, too, is that Paul Daniel, who's conducting it, was very keen that whatever I designed, I would keep the um, performers downstage. And you know, rather than have big, big rooms where they would be just downstage in a line, it's very good to have quite small rooms, which is another sort of 18th century idea really um, and then back corridors whenever the maze turns you see the back corridors where the servants would be and live so there's a parallel universe going on all the time and then you go into you turn in these other rooms and then there's some magic we do some magic with that and yeah no it's very exciting now you mentioned the the 18th century the, the class thing and the, the you know the customs of the day but what's fascinating to me about the piece is that this parallel between the Count and Figaro um, the Countess and Susanna, um, they are very much the same, even though they're separated by class and, and, yes. and authority. Um, and, and Figaro, in a sense, wants to be the Count. Would you, would you agree with, with this? this? I, I would agree. I mean, if I could make the film of it, I would have two centuries later Figaro and Susanna live in that house, you know. Yes. I, and I'm going to try and do something in relation to that. Unfortunately, they're on stage all the time, so it can't be them. But I, I would like the idea that somehow Figaro is glimpsing the future all the time, that he may see men from the 19th century or even people from the 20th century. So that we look at 18th century houses with affection and we think, God, they must be gorgeous to live in and everything. And then the people living in them were trapped in them, trying to think, God, I wonder what the future might be. Would it be better than this? Or, And I'm not saying it was all bad either. I mean, it's full of an elegance of life. But I want this hint that Figaro is just before a revolution, like none of us know the future, that he can he glimpses the future, and perhaps Susanna too. And so that the, you know, that we, we mustn't flatter that system, that mm. ancien regime, nor do we necessarily have to have a... Uh, a socialist or, or even a, you know, a, a communist notion about what the future might be. But the point is that we sit here in the audience looking back over two and a half centuries to them. They're not looking at us. We are looking at them. And we have lived 
post an, an, an industrial revolution and then post a technological revolution. So I think the theatre has to answer all of those. That's the hard thing for me. You can't just set in the 8th century pretend we're there. Mm. You have to say, and we're here. So what does that keep telling us? And we're here. And we're here. I, I also love the way the, 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 the resentment that people have for people who are better off than themselves sometimes. Um, the whole idea, what's the lovely line... Um, you know, you may go dancing, but I'll call the tune. Figaro is always seeing himself superseding in that role. And, and that little bit of resentment comes through, that bitterness. Um, in, in, but less so in Susanna, I think, but certainly in Figaro. Yes, and maybe a little bit in Susanna. And you know, what's so interesting is when you have the time, wish we had more, to, um, to hear it. You can hear sometimes that even in the Countess's delight that Susanna has, I mean, Countess's reception of Susanna telling her that her husband had, has, has um, made advances. There's resentment there, too. Mm. People resent anyone who, uh, who cut across their bowels, however yes. inadvertently. Yes. And you could say, you know, Figaro's position was that he had been the barber of Seville and therefore went and joined the Count, uh, gave up his, his self, self-employment to become a... Um, uh, an incumbent of that house and to join a multinational, you might say. Uh, he joins the multinational of a big house. But uh, he does resent it, but he also doesn't know how to get out of it. And of course, Susanna can't get out of it. I mean, she is sort of indentured. It's wonderful how... Uh, I, mean, I, I think one of the, the really amazing things about the piece is how the Countess is portrayed and how we learn so much about it in two arias. And, and those arias... I mean, she has to be the most accomplished singer on the stage, first of all, in, in my view, because they are not only the most distilled moments in the piece, but they're also the most technically challenged. You've got Kate Valentine, who you've worked with a couple of times. I've worked with her on the two other operas I've done, and she has blossomed into somebody who is not only just a great singer and probably greater by the year, it seems, at the moment. Even, I think, she's astonished by her, how her voice has... Uh, transforming every six months, she says, at the moment. So there's a sort of, you do feel you was a peony of, of uh, singing. But she's also become a very good stage creature. She's very demanding on, on, on the accuracy of thought and rhythm in relation to action and thought. And I find that just fantastic to be with. And she is effortless in one way. It's not effortless, of course. But she sails on that part she also loves playing it, and she's sung it already in um, in Scotland. So she she has already got in, in her body memory some of it. But of course, I'm trying to de-body memory. Actually, of course, Ian Patterson the same. They've done it already, and you're trying to wipe away their memory. I think it's very hard for them. But they, uh, but she she is she is everything that a person might be killed with kindness is, isn't she? she she's living a locked-in life, mm. and I think. Probably again, if one was making the movie, I think it's America is where one would set it. Probably, right. she's a yeah, she's trapped in Bel Air in some way. But actually, our production doesn't deal particularly with the social realism of a lot of any of that. It's really about an organic household or surrounded in this maze, people living in this maze as a unit, which I do feel is very much the 18th century experience that you're isolated in a house, mm. and the house is a city, it's a family, it's inheritance, it's mm. connections. But it's totally itself, you know, it's totally a world. You've to- I mean, you, c- you come from the theatre and the, the play, the original play on which this is based, a piece of theatre. Um, but the minute you add music, um, how much does that change the dynamic of how you work as a director? 
Well, and how people uh, perform as, as actor singers? Uh, that's a very good question because I wasn't thinking of it as a play particularly. In fact, it's the most, as you said in your opening comments, it's the most operatic of operas. It, it is so tightly knitted. One wonders whether it even needs the language at all in it. Mm. You, could, you could almost... It, it would be held. Though Mozart is so uh, dynamic in the way he changes chords, keys chords on thought, chords on feelings, yeah. almost randomly, and of course they're not, they're all connected to this architecture structure, but it, it, you don't feel that, you feel he's decided to do this and then that, and sometimes even you see glimpses of the future, you can suddenly hear a bit of Bizet or something, of something quite, he'll suddenly take you on these journeys that are breathtaking. But I think I, as a play, would have been daunted by it, because the speed with which it goes through, the speed of action... Um, I am actually at the moment almost overwhelmed by the amount of action which uh, in a play you'd have a lot of action but you'd have it heading towards a tragic end or a comic end but this seems to full of little ends within itself so it's a, it's a little Rubik cube as well and therefore you think you can do something huge with it but as Rodin says you know you, you must contemplate the object you can't expect to transform something that is of its nature itself. Mm. So I'm serving it, is what I'm doing. But it has changed, of course, entirely. The play, you would be trying to get the um, actors to act quicker. I think in the opera, if anything, you're trying to get them to sing slower because the recits are so fast, there's so much yes. information. Yes, and that second act, um, the second act finale, which everybody thinks is a miracle, and it is, because it, you, from the minute it starts, it's like 15 minutes of absolute, pure perfection. Um, it's fast, it's, it's everybody's thoughts happening yes. at once. I mean, it is extraordinary. How, how, how do you tend to want to stage the, the ensembles? Do you prefer to keep people still? <laughs> I've just been doing that. Groups or, I mean, that, that scene um, is... Actually... Um, I hope I'm not giving away, or it's called spoilers in America. No, don't, but don't, don't give it all. Don't give it all. No, 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 but, no, but we are in a room. Um, we are in a room for that bit. Um, and for that bit, we're in a room that has nothing to do with drawing rooms, put it that way. Okay. Um, and then, actually, I feel, and I hope I'm right, this maze is such an enormous part of the, of the metaphor, I think, for me, uh, that the staging of people in small rooms is quite perfunctory because, of course, there's only so many places they can be in a small room, but that they may even leave the house for that because it seems to me it's a meditation on everything that they've, they've come to at that moment. Martellina's success, um, Bartolo's potential success, etc., you know, the despair of the Countess and Figaro and Susanna. So you're getting these split, split groups and they, they go to the side of the stage, actually, and they sort of leave the house and go to a piano. And I, I find that marvellous because your focus is then split, which is another, I suppose, me trying to play with them, is that you have this group of voices in contradiction but in sort of sonic unity, and then you have this maze turning. So uh, I, hope, I hope that works for the audience, but it's very exciting to do. Intriguing, really intriguing. But very often in the yeah. sextets, I have them moving a lot, 
unlike you know, not production to I can completely understand why you just want them to stand and sing. But in this, day, I, I, there's a lot of action taking well, place. Well, it's just, I mean, one of the things one always has to consider with, with opera is the, the, the technical difficulty yeah. of keeping that rhythmic precision going when you're on the move. But yes. I mean, it's possible. It's possible, and it's just near enough to do. It's very tough. And I've also used the rest, it's obviously a full of their action, but also the arias I have a lot of action in. And that's been great fun to treat an aria like a recit. I mean, to treat it as a piece of text that is moving through life, not necessarily held. Sometimes there's sort of dream elements, mm. but they're, they're, they can be turned into turns, can't they? Somebody can do a exactly. turn, and of course there's an element of that. But I think opera is uh, one of the greatest art forms in our, on our planet because it is this lassoing of so many different talents. Not just talents, lifelong devoted talents. People who have to spend all their lives to get to that standard where they can even sing this at all. And then to ask them on top of that to unusually interpret it. And then to do gymnastics within that. I mean, to make them move or turn or leave rooms or go to other rooms. Um, and then to have an orchestra and then to have a conductor who is both leading them and also following them. is um, It's a thrill for all the family, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you said that about arias because they do tend to become static and they do tend to stand out. Um, it's one of the reasons in musical theatre, um, which is shifting all the time, uh, wh- when do people sing? You know, when is a song a song or not a song? Um, should it be something that stops the show or should it be something that further? I mean, you listen to Stephen Sondheim. On, on when to sing and not to sing and how to subvert that because we've come to expect oh, we're building towards a song or we're building towards an aria so I'm delighted that you... I mean, I've done as much as I can with them. I mean, some, some, I genuinely think if I had more weeks we would do even more intricacies with that but I suppose a song or music or song singing is when the emotion is high enough that it could not be spoken. Yes, well, that, that, is, that, is, that is the general, that's the old maxim, isn't it? Yes, that, however, um, I've been in some plays where actually you think people shouldn't be speaking, and they still are, that's the amazing thing. King Lear goes on speaking, but... Yes. It's, and then sometimes, you know, in a recit, obviously people are singing, but they're talking about whether you should go in the door and out the door. But what it does tell you is that even if they're saying something light in a recit, yes. it's very rarely throw away. It's always because there's an anxiety in music and I think Mozart wrote about his uh, despondency when he felt his singers were, were going with the beauty of the music. He said, music has to be beautiful, that's just its nature, <laughs> certainly his mm-hmm. nature. So the ugliness is in the thinking mm-hmm. often and in the anxiety that lies outside this. You know, it's, it's really the nearly not marriage of Figaro is what it is. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the cancellation of the marriage of Figaro or the nearly cancellation. So it's about not a day of splendour but a day of anxiety, which a lot of great feast days are and a lot of tragedies are built on such a day, a feast of something happens. And you something. mentioned King Lear. I mean, you know, at the, at the moment of his, the pinnacle of his agony, you know, the words howl, 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 um, turns from a word into a, a bestial sound yes. or yes. whatever you, I mean, there's yes. so many ways vowel. of doing it. Yeah, this vowel, um, yeah. Jackie yes. did it wonderfully recently. Yes. Oh, because it really did. He took the word and distorted it into a into a howl. He he took away the language. Exactly. No place need to be freed from language. Yes. The other wonderful thing in King Lear is when Lear says uh, when Cordelia dies, never, 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 
and you can't believe that an iambic pentameter can hold those many nervous, and with each one you're going further out to a universe. But this happens a bit in in Figaro, where where people say something and they repeat it because they can't believe what they've just said. Yeah, and that's verbal music as well. It it's it's all about rhythm, mm. isn't it? And your maze idea, I imagine, is very useful in the in the last act. Uh, well, yes, we finally maybe the maze comes into its own. In fact, there are three different sets. I mean, there's uh, the act one and act two are as the house maze, and then we have the wonderful interior, huge room that is also a maze where um, the wedding has to take place, and a long, long, long central piece of maze which is a table, and then finally a very low maze, which is uh, people extended outside. We also have a staircase, staircase like each of stairs on either side of the main house uh, that go nowhere, staircases that lead nowhere. I think this thing of our, the mind, I've always felt this, that brains look like mazes too, and that our minds are both unlimited, and yet we're always knocking against the, the passages and then the hedgery of our own, of our own limitations in our brains. Mm. So in the maze outside, it's a low maze, so people can sort of see beyond into the darkness, but they're, they're still going up and down passages. You said opera was, um, and is, a great art form when the arts of music and theatre come together. When it works, it's sensational. Um, it often doesn't work. Um, and there are all sorts of reasons why it doesn't work. I'm not putting any more <laughs> the lady grimaces at this point in time. Um, but are you, are, do, are you really enjoying the challenge of, of, of trying to make this collusion work? I think, you've, you you've know, now, you've now done three. I haven't, you know, that's very limited experience really because when you hit the, the, um, the pure protein of something like this, you certainly know that you've been in the nursery slopes. <laughs> I mix my metaphors as much as I can, but the, you know, you know, I know this is pure protein. I know I will get as far as I can. But the director in an opera, if you're, if you come from the theatre, in some respects, is quite a small part of the process. Mm-hmm. And I'm very humbled about that. Is that I have big ideas about them. You can all have them over a dinner table, but making them happen. My job really is to try and get the singers to be as true to the prism of our generation as we watch it. Mm-hmm. So those relationships are recognisable. That's really almost all I can try and do in the time. Meanwhile, I have to oversee a huge amount of design and invention by other people, video, um, you know, obviously costumes, and etc. So and, and games with costumes, because the theatre can't just have 18th century, I feel now, or can if you do it perfectly, I suppose, or modern. So trying to play these games that go on on the outside, but I would say that I am only part of a massive amount of people who, uh, it's like doing a movie, actually, when I'm down in our studio watching the huge maze and the amount of people there to help make it work, you realise that you're, you know, just a, big, I'm a bigger pawn, but I'm just a pawn in it. Fantastic. Well, that's great. I, I'm not. I can't let you leave without mentioning two words: <laughs> true blood. Because <laughs> um, I'm a little bit of a fanatic about it, and I'm so excited that Fiona Shaw <laughs> is is appearing in the next series. I mean, has it? <laughs> Have you seen any of the series? Any, no. Well, no. it's. Um, uh, I am the. Which I am, the, I am the main protagonist of the of the um, you know the visiting protagonist for the next uh, series. But it's I have to say I became an addict of it. I never knew anything about it. I was rung up and asked to be in it. 
I think because I played Medea is actually why I think they wanted me to be this witch. Yeah, in fact, they then wrote a part that was largely written in Latin. The amount of Latin I had to know. So I thought, I kept on telling them, classical acting has nothing to do with speaking Latin. But anyway, I've learned a lot of But uh, a lot of magic. Uh, I do a lot of magic and I take on the vampires. And it's been... I, I therefore watched the three previous series and I just loved it, beyond loved it. I would watch one episode and then another and then another. Oh, it's brilliantly written. It's, it is sensational. sensational. It's, it belongs, it is in such another world when you're watching it. Um, it's but its logic is so rigorous, yeah. so rigorous, yeah. and that you believe then when you see some weird sleight of hand, like somebody flying or floating or yeah. vamp speeding, they become absolutely part of your understanding of the thing. Yeah. So if I have said to everybody who wants to watch me, and I said, don't, you must watch the previous one so you know that you might meet a shapeshifter or a witch or a wizard or a, yes, yes, or a fairy, or you have to know who they are. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're an icon now. I'm an icon this week. I, I was, I, 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 in, in America, I'm an icon this week because I was shot I mean, in the series. <laughs> so apparently there's a, I, I'm missing out a lot of upset when's, people. When's this on here? I think it starts, maybe it's on Sky as it is, or yeah. some strange thing. It's Sky but, soon, I'm waiting for the alert. Yes, well, it'll, you'll, you'll have a lovely time. It's a very good thing. I thought it was marvellous. I saw part one, I haven't seen any others, but I, 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 in America, and I thought it was the best part one of anything. I couldn't believe that in 45, 50 minutes, yes. you had more than many movies. Yes, and it, it just teases you all the time. Oh. It makes an art of camp, I think. Yes. There are so many wonderful assignments, just people tripping things yes. off the time. Yes. I don't have many of those. I mean, this plot. I've got so much plot that I get very envious when Lafayette or someone says, oh, duh, or something. I think, oh, God, I did all that work, and that's all I get. And he gets all the laugh. Wonderful. Well, thanks ever so much. Thank you very much. Uh, You've got how long left for Figaro now? Five minutes in one hand, but actually two and a half weeks or three weeks. Oh, three weeks. An eternity in the world of opera. God, I hope so.